0: You're listening to Grace and Fire brought to you by Emerging Women. Today my guest is Chris Carr. Chris Carr is a New York Times and number 1 Amazon best-selling author, speaker and wellness activist. She is the subject and director of the documentary Crazy Sexy Cancer, which aired on TLC and the Oprah Winfrey Network. Chris is also the author of the award-winning Crazy Sexy Book Series. Her latest books, Crazy Sexy Diet and Crazy Sexy Kitchen, will change the way you live, love, and eat. Chris will be a keynote speaker at the 2014 Emerging Women Live Conference in New York City. In today's episode, Chris and I spoke about What exactly is well-being, and how can this be different for different people? How the flow of grace and fire has affected her life and using happiness as her guide. Her shift from health guru to women's emergence and empowerment. The feminine component of resiliency. And finally, using sexy as a strength that women can draw from. Here is my conversation, Crazy Sexy Woman, with the Crazy Sexy Chris Carr. Hello, and welcome, Chris Carr. Thanks for
1: having me. Hi.
0: Hi. And you're, I'm reaching you here now in Woodstock, right?
1: That's right. I'm at home in Woodstock, New York. Gosh,
0: sounds so amazing to live in. I mean, I live in Boulder. I think it might be a little similar, but I think it's more rural out there, correct?
1: Yes, we're we're very similar. We just have much smaller uh smaller mountains. When I came out to visit Boulder, I was like, this has the same Woodstock vibe. It really does.
0: Yeah. Except isn't Woodstock like really small? Much smaller? very tiny. Yeah. Very, very tiny, tiny, right? Yeah, I just uh, picture you on your website. You have an an image of yourself in a old old truck holding a green can. I'm just like, that's the life, you know? <laughs> That's so, what we try to do out here in the woods. Right? So your first book, I remember when it came out several years ago, is called Crazy Sexy Cancer. And I know what's crazy about cancer, and I'm hoping that you can tell us all what's sexy about cancer.
1: <laughs> so we'll get to this short. Uh, answer first. There's nothing sexy about cancer. Um, For me, crazy sexy cancer came from two things. One, they were mass emails that I would send friends and family. They were crazy sexy cancer updates. And this is my way of showing my very frightened crew because I was diagnosed with an incurable stage four cancer that had, you know, started in my liver and spread to both my lungs. Um, This is my way to update them and let them know that I still had my sense of humor. I still was the same uh, reverent girl and that I wasn't going to let cancer define me. And it was an important step for me to kind of poke fun at cancer mm-hmm. um, and not take it all so seriously. And it was also really helpful for the people going through the experience with me. Not everybody has that same experience, but that was my lifeline. Mm-hmm. And then later as my journey continued to unfold and the years continued to go by with cancer. And certainly when I kind of came on the scene in a much bigger way, I used crazy, sexy cancer almost like as a definition and it's been the same. So here we go. Crazy for me. That's out of the box, forward thinking. It's that kind of speak when somebody says, Oh, that'll never happen. That's crazy. And then you and I and everybody listening says, really watch us. Um, Sexy is empowering. And cancer is teacher. For me, cancer is my teacher. And um, so that, that really has been my way of um, going through this process, but also teaching others that are interested in my philosophy um, how to create a map for themselves. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, just there's a lot of people, I'm sure, listening to this that don't, haven't read your book and they don't know your background, but you actually were diagnosed with stage 4 cancer am I correct? Correct.
1: Mm -hmm, That's right.
0: And, you know, it seems that when we look at you and, and your career has exploded, of course, and that one could deduce that you're doing really well and that you've recovered. And yet we've had a conversation, you're actually not recovered from the cancer. Correct. Correct. I want to jump into that because, you know, offline, we were having that discussion. We want to be really clear to people that, you know, you haven't recovered, and and yet we started talking about what is recovery, what is wellness, what is feeling well and well-being in the world, and what standard is this being measured against, and especially when we're talking about cancer, and I'm curious to see if we can open up with that and if you could enlighten us having not recovered from cancer and yet doing fairly, you know, one would look at you, and I don't know if I'm projecting, and say, that's a healthy woman. And a sexy (laughs) woman. Thank you.
1: I'll take that projection. Thank you very much. (laughs) You know, it's a great question. So let's see if we can unpack it in layers. Um, For people who don't really know a lot about my story, I was diagnosed with this very rare cancer and we've been tracking me for about 11 years now almost 12 Mm -hmm. and I'll be tracked for the rest of my life and when I was first diagnosed it was every two months now it's every year and a half I go get a CAT scan Mm -hmm. and the thing about the sargoma that I have is that it can be slow moving but it can also be aggressive and it can start slow moving and become aggressive so all these different things can happen with this teacher that I have Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um, for me, it's been about learning to live while still having an end-stage disease. And there was a time when I really wanted to be cured. Mm-hmm. Even when I was first starting out, I'd been on Oprah and my career was exploding. And you know I was feeling better because I was doing all of these different lifestyle practices. I mean, I was that fast food junkie, standard American diet queen, stress junkie. It's very similar to other people's stories. I just didn't know my story would be, you know, the cherry on top of it would be this diagnosis. Um, And so when I started to make big shifts, like moving to Woodstock, leaving my last career, learning how to take care of myself, taking cooking classes, you know, my life got a lot better and my health got better. Certainly my immune system got stronger. There have been times that I've seen reduction in tumor size, but there was a part of me that was still going for this, Goal, and I, I love goals. I'm a type A, driven, ambitious, thriver in all aspects of my life. So in the beginning, when I took cancer head on that way, I think it was good for me. Mm-hmm. But as the time went on, I realized that it actually was not good for me. I was doing all of these things for the wrong reason, and I was putting impossible goals on my shoulders. And I'd go to these scans, and everybody would be happy, but me. Everybody would be happy about me. So about a couple of years ago, I decided to really shift that, and that's when I began deeply exploring for myself what is it to truly accept yourself, to love all parts of you, even the parts of you that on paper are diseased and really scary. And it wasn't an overnight uh, success with that. There was a lot of tears and a lot of feeling of failure and. I think I felt more like I was dying then than I ever did when I heard I was diagnosed because a part of me was dying. It was really ambitious, driven, goal-oriented, get my old life back, no matter how uncomfortable that was. That part of me was dying. And that part of me was, was a big part of my identity. And it. so... As I move towards answering your question, you know, what is it to be well? I think every single person has a different definition for that. Mm -hmm. But it isn't always the absence of disease. In my mind, it's the presence of vitality. It's the presence of vitality. And that vitality is physical vitality, which may come and go. And, you know, when it's on the downside, that's where we have to put our attention. But it's also mental Uh, emotional and spiritual vitality that's what wellness really is and I didn't get that until I was much more mature and and, you know into my 11th year of living with cancer I read it, I wrote it I didn't get it
0: Mm -hmm. are you talking about, you said, when I hear vitality I think energy and I feel about the physical body but you alluded to a spiritual vitality and an emotional vitality yeah. And are those all connected or, I mean...
1: Well, for me, they they go... I mean, they're different, but they are connected. You know, we can't separate... That's what Western medicine does. It, it cuts us all off. It looks under a microscope. It separates everything and never gets to the root. Um, so, you know, in my life experience, that sort of mental-emotional vitality is, what's holding me back? What's keeping me stuck? What are the parts of my life or my, um, maybe even going into some of my darkness, uh, my limiting beliefs, the pain that I may have from, let's say not forgiving somebody, um, and really putting some energy there because as these energetic beings, and certainly for me, I'm very mindful of my energy because my energy can dip when I'm not feeling well, but what's not feeling well, where's it coming from, Chris, where's the source? And if it happens to be some sort of emotional or, you know, mental blockage that I'm feeling, then that's where I'm going to put that energy, you know? And for me, the spiritual side of that is really spirit to me is a community. It's communion. It's, it's a, it's a singular connection to a much bigger whole. Mm -hmm. And so where in my life am I not connected to the whole? Where in my life am I feeling isolated? Mm -hmm. And, Wellness is about tending my garden. There's so many different plants in my garden. I'm gardening for the second year in a row, and gosh, I am learning so much. <laughs> I don't even have that many varieties. I think I have 20 plants this year. But uh, wellness is tending those plants and all their different needs and all their different soil types and pH and watering needs and all of that. And I have the same sort of palette, the same garden within me. Um, so to speak. And sometimes it isn't about the green juice. Mm-hmm. It is not about the green juice. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time to really believe that.
0: There's a lot in the green juice. Yes, but
1: it's there is not a everything. Lot. <laughs> it's not everything. It's I know. Easy. It's hard to
0: get to that point when you first start on the green drink though,
1: right? <laughs> it really is. And it's also, you know, it's, it's so easy for me to give people recipes and eating plans. And I've written so many books, including a New York times bestselling cookbook. And I didn't even know how to cook when I started this whole journey, but it's the bigger work comes from when we look at what's behind. For example, when people say to me, this is also hard. This is also well overwhelming. Can you just give me the exact thing I have to do? I can but what we have to do is look at what's behind why it's so hard, what's behind why it's so overwhelming, what's behind why you perhaps don't feel like you're equipped enough to make a juice. Because mm-hmm. we are. It's pretty simple. But what's going on in your life that makes you feel like you're incapable?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, coming back to the whole healing journey and wellness Again, it's the presence of vitality in all aspects of your life. And the neat and exciting part is is that if you're not feeling it, you can. You really can. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be perfect on paper. None of us are perfect on paper. In fact, we all have cancer cells running through our bodies right now. Because most of the folks out there, yourself included, your immune system is picking them up and saying, hey, no, not in my backyard, thank you very much. Well, right? I
0: mean, yeah, I think it's it's really interesting that, you know, you brought up, just to tag onto that question, what does it mean to be well? And what is well being and, and that concept of being cured? I mean, that's not just a disease situation, we do that with our personalities. And, you know, these patterns that we have for doing x when y happens. And, um, you just want it to go away. I just want it to go away. I want to cut it out and be done with it. And and yet learning to live with it as you've learned to live with the cancer is such a good metaphor for finding a way to um, make that which plagues us as a disease might plague us into a teacher.
1: Well, I love the way you said that. It's so really beautiful and it's such an important point that you bring up. And there's two things that come to me. One is... For me, it's learning to live with this disease. And I can imagine some people out there going like, I don't want to live with the thing that I have. Ugh, That's awful. So let's go deeper into that because really what that means to me is that regardless of what's going on in your life, whether you're going through a divorce or you're going through a diagnosis, whether you know, you've got some trauma and you've got some re- residual grief and anger around it, and no matter how hard you've tried, it's not shifting. Learning to live with something is about saying, no matter what's going on in my life, I will not abandon myself. I've got my own back. I'm not going anywhere. We're going to get through this. Mm -hmm. That's what learning to live with something is. So it's not settling. It's not saying, oh, well, luck of the draw, white flag, this sucks. It's saying, I got you. Yes, we're going through a tough time, but you got me on your side. I won't go anywhere. I accept you even though this is not great, there's shame here, there's disease here, there's anger here, there's violence here, whatever it is, I still accept you. Mm. And that place, I feel like a lot of our emotional agony starts to dissolve and then we can continue to make that game plan. And so that's part one that came up for me based on your awesome question and using. And that part two is this. So, for, again, from my experience, curing, great, great conversation to have. Curing is a physical body. There are a lot of things that we can do to address that. And sometimes that's possible and other times it's not. Or other times it might take longer than we'd like it to take, you know. And in my life, that, that's it's going to be one of those things. It's either it's never going to happen, brutally honest, or it's just going to take longer. Either a cure is going to come up, there's more research being done, um, my vitamin C IVs are going to make a breakthrough. Who knows? I hold space for both. So caring happens when something shifts in the physical body. But healing is very different. Mm. Healing takes place in the spiritual and emotional bodies. Healing is what we just talked about, Mm -hmm. saying that I will not abandon you. I'm going on this journey with you. And we can continue to unpack what might be getting in our way, holding us back, great teachers for us to look at, so that we can become more fully actualized and, and joyful, ultimately, human beings.
0: Yeah. And whether, I mean, it would be nice not to have that sickness or the trauma to remind us that this is something we can start working on now and should be working on now. The, you know, that's the thing is sometimes we need to get really sick or we have to get, you know, we're fighting against something that's very traumatic before we yeah. realize that, oh, we need to tend the garden and it's like a weed fest.
1: Totally. And of course it would be nice. But guess what? There are so many spices on the rack, you know, like do you right. want to live your life through the lens of three colors that you feel comfortable with?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I can tell you I'm a much more interesting person, <laughs> as a result of all the things that have, I've gone through with this experience, I'm more interesting to myself, let alone other people, oh, hopefully. Interesting. Interesting. You know, like, yeah, I don't yeah. think I... So, I there's pieces of this journey I would never want to relinquish or take back.
0: Yeah. I mean, what's been the biggest personal perspective change that you've had since you've been, you know, diagnosed?
1: Well, I think that that... Um, every year is a little different, quite Mm -hmm. honestly. I I don't have one big, you know, uh, big aha. I'd say where I am right now, you know, the big aha was I can cook. Wow. I'm not dumb. (laughs) You know, like I can figure this out. Green juice isn't so awful. Like, so all along the way, oh, wait, I should poop. I, you right. I never have pooped. Okay. So all along the way in my journey, there have been these big, These awakenings had helped me feel better, live better, you know. Yeah. Um, But I'd say where I am right now is, like I said, I'm that driven person. I'm very ambitious. There's a lot going on in my life. Right. I have to be very mindful of the freight train that is Chris Carr. Mm. Because I'm not happy when I'm moving that fast. Mm -hmm. And when I'm not happy, I get sick. And when I get sick... That's not good. So really, really being mindful about my commitments, being mindful about my vision. I do think that we can have so much in our lives. I do not think we can have it all. I think our task is to get very clear about what is essential. What do you really want? And then clear some clutter out Mm -hmm. because it it creates that space. And I know you know this. It creates that space for creativity, creativity. Creativity doesn't happen when you're booked to the minute, and creativity is essential for your business, for your growth, for your spiritual practice, for your artistry, for everything, for healing, for healing. It's very important.
0: Yeah, it's funny, um, you know, when we consider the title of the podcast is Grace and Fire, and you've sort of just somewhat answered my question, but you definitely seem like someone who's got a lot of fire. (laughs) Right? And yet something like this that forces you to slow down, that kind of changes that and creates space. You know, Maya Angelou was after, you know, she was sexually abused and basically announced her, the perpetrator, and then he was killed, and then she went into a silence for many years and, and really credits her entire creative life. From what she discovered during that silence, and and so there's all kinds of stories in history, um, including yours, where you know women have gone in and slowed things down or, and men, and then really got in touch with their creativity in that space of silence. but it's a dance, and I, ca- I call that grace um, mm. where we're not trying to force something and we're allowing. and I just I'm so amazed at the different some people are more grace than fire and they get, that's how they approach the world. And some are more fire than grace. And, um, I'm just curious to see how that's shifted for you. And if you've noticed an impact in the output, so to speak, of what you're creating Mm. by having more grace or less grace or.
1: I love your questions. Can I just say that again? Oh,
0: that's so sweet. (laughs) Thank
1: you. Uh, both are needed in my life. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about it. Um, and in in all of our lives, and I'd say as far as the the impact or like what I'm the in, what I'm putting out in the world, um, I think that the impact goes a lot further when I give from a place where it's very concentrated, it's very rich, as opposed to just like spraying my ideas everywhere and. Over committing myself and um, just stretching my business and my person, because we're kind of one in the same sometimes, to a place where I'm just completely fatigued. People are busy. Mm-hmm. People have a lot going on in their lives. You know, give them what they need. Don't overwhelm them. They've already got full inboxes. You know, these are the things that I say to myself. When I'm creating and I, you know, put out weekly content and all the stuff that I do on social media, et cetera. Um, and I think what happens when we step into grace more is we begin to trust that it's enough. Yeah. It is really, really enough. And I never really trusted that. And I also, I got to a place at a certain time in my career where I felt as though, if I didn't continually put stuff out there, people would forget me. You know, I had heard some things here and there from different people, different publishers. You got to stay on this machine that you've created. And as soon as I let that go, everything got better. Mm -hmm. Um, So that grace teaches us that we also have to be happy in the process. As we emerge and give our gifts to the world, use your own happiness as your guide because Yo. Yo. if you don't Yo. yeah you're gonna kind of fucking fizzle man total kind of fizzle. yeah <laughs> that's
0: a good one yep at emerging women you're going to be talking about crazy sexy women <laughs> and you'll be probably talking to crazy sexy women and with crazy <laughs> sexy women um Tell us a little bit about how you've evolved from your focus on cancer to what I'm calling a wellness guru, and now you're focusing on women and women's emergence and empowerment. How has that evolved recently for you? Mm.
1: Well, it's evolved as I've evolved, it's grown as I've grown, you know, and in the beginning it started with the movie that I made for TLC and then, you know, my book and being on Oprah and all these things, but really the first few books and a lot of my writing and blogging and articles were all geared towards young women with cancer. Mm -hmm. I did all that because when I got sick and I went looking for a movie and looking for books for somebody like me, I couldn't find it. So I wrote it, I made it (laughs) and I didn't think I I didn't have plans. I didn't have plans that would go any further than that. But after I was on um, the Oprah Winfrey show, I was blown away by the number of people who emailed us and basically crashed our server time and time. And again, saying, I don't have cancer, but I really like what you're saying. And I need some of this in my life. Is it okay? Is it weird? I'm hanging out with you. <laughs> this is just for cancer patients. So at that point, I started to open up my audience, very mindfully um, opening up my audience to people who are also interested in prevention. So it's patients and people interested in just feeling better. Um, and And that's been wonderful. I, I've written several books about diet and lifestyle and just basically self-care practices. And when I finished my cookbook... Um, I realized that the thing that I had ke- kept hearing from my community on Facebook, in my blog comments, in our inbox, and certainly back in the day when I was coaching one-on-one, which I don't do anymore, but yeah. they were having a hard time getting past some of the hang-ups. Like It's like what we just talked about earlier, about it's not about the kale. Yeah. And so this book is really talking about the some of the things that i think hold us back and hopefully it is a huge hug and it is permission to really go for it to identify your dreams to learn how to care for yourself to clear up some of the dead weight that does not serve you in your life to practice a resilient mindset as opposed to just being resilient from time to time when you need to be resilient. Like when the shit hits the fan, we all need to be resilient. Truthfully, the shit is hitting the fan every day in little ways in our life. And a lot of times we're pushing that into our body, into our tissues, into our psyche. How can we shift that? And so I'm talking about a lot of those things and the book is quite, is, (laughs) it's, right now I mean this is very early days so this is where I am right now when it comes out we may be in a different place I've only written one chapter (laughs) but I've been writing this book for years in my head Um, and right now the subtitle and again this may not even be the one that ends up being the subtitle when it publishes Lessons in Ferocious Self-Love and Resilience Hmm. Hmm. It's a lot of my journey. It's it is part memoir. It's part memoir as well.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting because resilience can mean a lot of things for different people, and especially in the feminine, masculine space, it holds different energies. So, in the masculine space, resilience is really pushing through, and you know, Mm. there's a lot to be said for that, to being strong and the battle of cancer, so to speak, or the battle of whatever it is. Um, All that, all those. That language is more about the sort of the, the masculine version of resiliency, which is a component and we need that. But, but when I hear you talk, a lot of resiliency has more of a yielding quality to it. And I'm wondering if that is more of the feminine
1: coming in. I think that that is probably true. I mean, you know, the times when I have had to go deep inside to make a very serious decision, One of those was when the first doctor suggested a triple organ transplant. Hmm. I had to go inside and make some very serious decisions. I didn't have people to guide me. I didn't have coaches who understood this sarcoma thing. That's a silly idea. I had to stop. I had to stop and get very still, very, very connected to what I think should happen. I had to make that call. That didn't happen from being like type A aggressive. That happened from, from going inside and really looking at the truth of the situation. Yeah. And, and I think so often that we are kind of pushed to be really aggressive and, and to really, you know, be, as you say, like strong. And we get confused about where that strength comes from. Mm. The strength does not come from just doing and going. You know, though sometimes we need to do and we need to go, right? The strength comes from our intuition, from yeah. being, going inside, from allowing yourself to even, you know, go into your own womb and rejuvenate, recover, get a hit, get some more energy before you go out there uh, yeah. to do what you need to do and that's a dance. It's not a formula. There's no trademarked TM, you know, marketed solution for this.
0: Right. Right. Have you ever in in your past or now do you find yourself sort of suppressing your feminine side in order to get something done or attain success?
1: Sure, all the time, and then I'm reminded that's a dumb idea. Right. <laughs> <laughs> then I screw something up big time, and I have to go back and say, I'm sorry I'm disappointing everybody, but I overcommitted once again, la, la, la. Right. You know? um, and again, you know, this is not about saying I'm just going like, to sit around and eat bonbons. Mm-hmm. It is about saying like, I'm going to do great work in the world while also nurturing myself, because if I don't take care of myself, my ideas suck, and so does my energy. How am I going to make a suggestion to change something that would be useful to humanity if I'm so damn depleted I got nothing? Right. And how am I going to, re- you know, what are my relationships as well? Not just about the work I do in the world, the work I do in the home.
0: Yeah, of course, which is ultimately the same work, is it not?
1: <laughs> yeah, sure is. It's a microcosm right there.
0: Well, especially as you're going into this new book, which is not the green drink. You know, right. it's, it's something more than that, which sounds like precisely what you're doing in the home. Like your Diana. internal, more of that, um, you know, the mental, emotional vitality that you were talking about. It's coming from a different place. There seems to be another source for that.
1: I think so. And then a lot of that source is just being more, more mindful, having, making sure that I'm balancing it. You know, um, I've written books and they've been New York Times bestsellers and people have changed their lives and I've been depleted and, uh, my marriage needs help. What is going on? Right. I don't want to work from that place.
0: Right.
1: And so I think, you know, I'm obviously very, very candid and, um, very transparent but I imagine people out there listening can get a piece of this wisdom for their selves and look at their own lives and say, yep, I hear you. Okay, let me start put, Let me start to put some energy in that direction. It's not like we have to solve everything, mm-hmm. but we have to be mindful. Mm-hmm. Our mindfulness and our awakening to what's going on, I think it's, as we know, you know, and every spiritual leader will tell you, that's the first step.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, it's so interesting, this whole focus of your body being such a teacher for you and which is a very feminine thing the body itself is just the you know the incarnation of the feminine principle so to speak Mm -hmm. the feminine lives in the body and you have something in, in a weird way it's a gift in that when you're overstretching or when you're misaligned in a certain way it seems like you're communicated of that through your body like your body is, you know, talking to you through this this illness that you have, this disease that you have, but also in just, it's afforded you a very close, intimate connection with your body that develops a very deep communication. And I'm curious to see if you're able to find other ways, or if that is the deepest wisdom is coming through the body, and is there other wisdom coming through other, other places? And the emotions, I feel, as part of the body.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I've always been very connected to my body because I was a professional dancer mm-hmm. uh, and a performer. And I started pr- dancing professionally as pretty young and got my first agent, came to New York at 19, mm-hmm. film, television, Broadway, off-Broadway, touring, you name it. Mm-hmm. And so as a dancer, your instrument is everything. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, I know every single muscle, I know every part of every toe, I know where my weaknesses are, I know where my strengths are, I know where I explode on the stage in a good way, mm-hmm. I know where I have to be a little more careful and how I can like kind of fake it, mm-hmm. you know? So I've been doing, performing in that capacity, I did that for a long time, but I didn't know my body till I got sick. Mm-hmm. I didn't know where my liver was. I didn't know where my organs were. I had no idea that what I put in my mouth actually had a positive or negative effect. I knew that with alcohol and drugs. I knew that in other ways. I was like, yeah, yeah, it's positive and then super negative. (laughs) But it wasn't until I um, actually had the experience of cancer that I got very clear on the subtlest messages that came from within the messages that I would blow off when I was younger and when, you know, it was really just about is my turnout Mm -hmm. good enough? Mm -hmm. Can my leg go up to my eyeballs? That's how I measured myself and what I expected of my body. I worked really hard to get and boy, did I get it? I wouldn't take no for an answer dear body. Um, So now I will say in this time in my own spiritual development and practice, I'm still, my body is the number one teacher, Yeah, but intuition is number two and then getting, and gaining traction. (laughs) Intuition is like right up on its tail saying, Hey, 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 what about me? So that's a big part of it.
0: Yeah. And so I guess that's a question for me that where is, is it something, how do you communicate with your intuition? What's your secret power here? You seem very intuitive. I mean, that's a big decision that you had to make, and it sounds like you made the right one. I would be like, "Oh my gosh, like, you know, <laughs> it'd be really hard to trust myself to make that decision." Mm. So what what is yeah. how how do you communicate with that?
1: Well, again, this is just for me. Everybody's got sure. their own way, and there's very good teachers out there teaching this. Um, two things. One, I get the hit immediately, and I'm usually right. Mm. I'll sleep on it. they get the hit immediately and it's a resounding yes or a resounding no, I'll sleep on it and then if it's still a yes or a no, the next day that's the answer. I have a deal with myself that no matter what decision I make, I haven't failed. I won't fuck it up. It was a decision that needed to be made at that time, even if it kills me.
0: Yeah.
1: So we're good on that. The other piece... Yeah, it is a big piece, but it's just easier to make that. (laughs) It's just easier because then you don't have to go, "Eh, eh, eh, should I, you know, I mean, you waste so much energy. And then the other piece is if I'm really out to lunch and I don't know because it is, you know, whatever is coming up in me, I really, I spend a lot of time journaling. What do you think? What do you want? And almost taking myself through a writing process, just like we do with people at workshops. I also have a core group of very strong women in my life and of my man too. My husband is amazing. His intuition and his mind is really so solid. So between them and my core women, you know, to get a little feedback, that'll all go into the melting pot and then the decision will come.
0: Yeah. I love what you said about giving us, giving yourself permission not to fail, because in a way it just makes it easier for us to trust our intuition yeah, so we're laying a big heavy on, you know, ourselves like, oh, my God, I'm going to die or I'm going to kill somebody if I make this mistake.
1: Exactly. Because the truth is, we're going to fail. You know, it's, we yeah. can't we can't see it as a failure. The People who don't actually take the risks and don't understand that there's so much knowledge in that, quote unquote, failure. Those are the ones who stay the same right. in business, in life, in romantic relationships, etc. I think we've created this world that's so clean and appropriate (laughs) and we have to get it a little messy.
0: Yeah. So we're getting to the end of our time and I wanted to just touch on something specifically about, you know, we were talking about the feminine, I'll continue on that. And, and we, we talked about one of those things being yielding and, and more grace And yet women are also, you know, that to carry that even further is that just the, the ability to let things go. Okay. Now that's really hard because I'm also type A letting go is something that's my, the feminine principle I'm really working on right now is letting go. (laughs) And, and yet, you know, as someone who's faced stage four cancer and continues to face that, you have, have really have a lot more experience with that. And I'm curious to see how that particular principle is playing out and, and, and and how it's transformed over time.
1: You can't let go of something all at once, sometimes. Sometimes you can. Sometimes I think the idea of us letting go can make us feel very overwhelmed, because we don't know how. And the fire is still there, the spark is still there. The whatever it is that's like in your craw, is still there. And for me, it's been about really breaking down the pieces of what I need to let go and, and starting to work on them in a much more bite sized, strategic, clear way, as opposed to let go of the fact that you have stage four cancer and you're probably going to die from this thing at some point and just live your life. Right? right? Yeah. Anybody would say, huh, fuck you, you know? So, okay, what do I need to start with? And is that really what I'm letting go of? Right? So I think that in some ways it's easier for women. In other ways, it's harder. We are multitaskers. We are, we keep a lot of balls going. We have eyes in the back of our head and the sides of our head. We are the fierce protectors in so many ways of our children, of our ideas, of our families. We need to do a little bit more with ourselves. So, you know, I'm not so sure about whether or not we're better at that. I'm not sure about that. But I do know that it's possible to let go of what doesn't serve us, or let, let go of what holds us back from our greatness, and that greatness being joy. Yeah. And we could just break it down in bite-sized chunks. And I don't know what that looks like for everybody, but I know how to start that process for myself.
0: Yeah, I want to, you know, circle back, we're out of time here, but I wanted to circle back to the, the sexy cancer question. And I just want to reflect back, I feel that, you know, your point about the sexy being powerful is something that, you know, in your book, and your presentation about something that is decidedly not sexy, right? Yeah. Um, but presenting it that way allows... Um, especially women, to really claim a strength that's not like the battle against cancer or the, yeah. you know, let me get out the battle axe and the, you know, the guns. And it has a, um, a different, very feminine power to it that gives everybody permission to still be joyful and um, powerful and um, go after these challenges in a very serious way. So I just want to thank you for that.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate that. I and mean, I love this call, Chantal. Oh,
0: thank you. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing you in just a couple months. <laughs> yes, did <good> day. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Chris.
1: Okay. Bye, everybody. Thanks.
0: Bye-bye.